Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Thank you, Sarah. So my subject this morning is pilgrimage as discipleship and what happens when we come home. It's a fine morning. The sun is up. The coffee's brewed. Uh, the cat has wandered through on his way to his daily adventures. Um, the house is warm and still. The trouble is, we've come home. That pilgrimage was was wonderful. Uh, so much to remember, so much to feed on, uh, so many cameo moments, so many fascinating conversations, uh, such vivid experiences of, of people and place and prayer. But what now? How does it all work? when you've come home. Patrick Woodhouse uh, is actually a friend of mine, but he writes in his book, The Life Life in the Psalms, true religion, he says, is restless and inescapably geographical. It's to do with place. The mystery of God has been revealed in particular places and their stones hold echoes of those moments of revelation. So says Patrick. So we've been. Let's imagine to some wonderful place and we may have had some kind of um, revelation of of God's presence in some way. But now we've come home and the cat has just brought in a dead mouse. I think of a pilgrimage as as making a journey uh, beyond the boundaries of my familiar world to uh, a place of spiritual promise where I might glimpse more of the shape and purpose of my life and what it's really all about. But when we come home from such a journey, we may experience our domestic landscape in all kinds of different ways. First, it could seem as if uh, we've been to a mountaintop and in one sense, we're still there. We're up at these, this glorious experience is still very vivid. Uh, It was wonderful. It was life-changing and and now we want to share it. And we have a, a video presentation all ready to show to the Mother's Union or anyone else who dares to come too close. Because a mountaintop gives us a view you can never forget and you long to to share it with others. I once went on a a, a 10-day trek to uh, Annapurna Base Camp in the Himalayas, um, a trek that uh, to me was a kind of pilgrimage because I'd been absolutely captivated by this uh, incredible mountain, one of the highest in the world. Um, for years and years. So to go there was a real pilgrimage. And finally, one Good Friday, as it happened, a four of us struggled up to base camp and it was dark and it was snowing and the, the visibility was zilch. And I hunkered down for a freezing cold night uh, in my sleeping bag, fully dressed, just my nose showing out of the uh, the sleeping bag. And when dawn came, I I struggled out of the bag and I I went outside into this vast stillness of the Annapurna sanctuary, which some call the the abode of the gods. And there surrounding me were 10 peaks over 20,000 feet high. And they were etched in in black and white against this uh, pale dawn sky. And I was absolutely awestruck. Why does such times bring me to tears? God was uh, immense and utterly present. And in a 
strange kind of way, I, I believe that somehow I have been changed by that experience. I'm different. Now that was a one-off, but I think any of our pilgrimages uh, can take us to mountaintops, uh, a kind of thrilling overview of our life and our faith and, and a, a new vision in the sense of our, of our purpose and our place in it all. But a second way in which we might experience coming home is entirely different. And instead of seeming like a mountaintop, it can seem like a, a deep, depressing valley. We've come home, back to normality, the daily commute, even if it's only as far as the laptop. And we feel somehow restless and lethargic. And because the contrast between our Technicolor HD experience uh, and the, the mundane orderliness of daily life in Surbiton, I'm really sorry if you live there, um, it's just too stark. So sadly, the memories begin to fade. People aren't interested, or they pretend to be interested, but it's clear they're not really. They've not stood by the Sea of Galilee and heard uh, the whisper of a, a fresh call from a, a wandering Jewish teacher. They've not sat on the Mount of Olives and looked across at Jerusalem with Jesus and wept with him. So back home, you know, we feel very alone. What should we do? Get on with life, I suppose. Nothing else for it. And we put that pilgrimage away in a, a special memory box uh, and we just um, trudge on down the valley. There is a third way we might um, experience coming home, of course, and that's neither as a mountaintop nor as a dark valley, but as a, a kind of disappointing plane. A plane because somehow the, the pilgrimage didn't really work for us. I had uh, such high expectations, I think, of when I went to Oberammergau uh, for that famous passion play. But we were herded in and out of the village. <clears throat> um, uh, and as the Americans in front of us got up to leave just before the crucifixion, um, and as the, uh, the tableau representing the, the resurrection descended into sentimental schmaltz, I found myself sadly underwhelmed by it all. The mountains around were wonderful, of course, they always are for me. Um, but the passion play was just so-so. The experience was frankly uh, a letdown, it was a plane. And it was a bit similar when I first went to Iona for the first day and a half, I wondered what all the fuss was about. Here was this famous island with Columba and Aden and Oswald and a mission that encompassed uh, Northumbria and Lindisfarne and way beyond. And now it kind of feeds a million hungry, spiritually hungry souls. But why wasn't I moved? What was I missing? And then I went over to uh, St Cuthbert's Bay on the far side of the island. Uh, and then I got it. There was a, I suppose, a kind of quiet magic um, about that place. And I was hooked. But if I'd been a day visitor, if I'd uh, just gone for a short time and then just gone away, I wonder how it would have been. I'd probably gone away feeling pretty let down. So coming home, it could leave us still on that wonderful uh, mountaintop uh, or down in a depressing valley or just left on a disappointing plain. But there is, 
we won't be surprised, a fourth possibility. Uh, and that's what I hope for us. Maybe we come home to an enriched everyday landscape. That's what I hope happens for most of us. And I think it does. What I hope is that the experience that we've had uh, will permeate the rest of our lived experience, that our faith will somehow be uh, enlivened and our vision uh, clarified. I suppose clarified really is to what the essence of true religion uh, is really about. Because the essence of religion is actually uh, about the presence of God in the midst of everyday life. Not God on in a box on the edge of our everyday lives, but God in the heart of it all, because that's where discipleship is to be found, right at the heart uh, of everything. I'm sure many of you know the um, famous quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, who said, I, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. So it's faith not as a spectacle to look at, uh, but as spectacles to look through in order to see everything else um, as it really is. And hopefully our experience of pilgrimage uh, will work like that. It enables us to see everything else uh, in our life as it really is, as we look through uh, the, the spectacles, as it were, that the pilgrimage has given us. So how can pilgrimage lead us to an enriched everyday landscape for our discipleship when we come home? That's uh, what I want to turn to and to make several suggestions. So let's start with pilgrimage uh, refreshing our reading of the Bible. Obviously, uh, here I'm thinking particularly of a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I must have been there, I don't know, 15 or so uh, times by now. And every time I marvel at how the, the text of the Bible comes alive in my hands. You can't read of Jesus uh, going to Simon Peter's house in Capernaum uh, without seeing in your mind's eye uh, the ancient remains of that building and imagining Jesus walking those, those 50 yards from the synagogue uh, to the house. You know, it's this house. It's it's the house I've seen. It's, I can see it now. It, and there he healed Simon's mother-in-law. You can't read of Jesus being um, manhandled from Gethsemane up to Caiaphas's house without seeing those first century steps up, up which Jesus must have been manhandled to get to that house. You can't look out over the Sea of Galilee uh, without thinking that, that that actual precise profile of hills on the far side of the lake is, is just what Jesus would have seen practically every day. And those moments, of course, are what you bring home. The Bible simply jumps into life. So we listen to a, a gospel reading in church on a Sunday and we think, I've been there. I've seen that. I know it. This is real. It's, uh, it's not a, a dusty old fable in a, a children's storybook. And then there are the festivals. Holy Week is never the same again when you've walked uh, the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem and stood probably both aghast and amazed amongst the crowds in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And Christmas 
uh, if you stood in the darkness at the back of the cave where tradition says uh, Jesus uh, was born and you prayed there, well, you know, you're going to be back there again uh, every Christmas thereafter. So the Bible actually comes to life in your hands. That's the first thing we bring home. The second, what about pilgrimage refreshing our prayer life when we come home? I hope so, because most pilgrimages uh, set up a kind of rhythm of prayer, at least uh, morning and evening and, and maybe you know, other times during the day. And pilgrims who aren't used to a kind of clear shape um, to their praying life uh, can actually find that really helpful. And it's something they bring home and, and try to continue. And there are other uh, ways of praying that may be discovered as well. For instance, when um, we go to the Holy Land, uh, I always encourage pilgrims to, to go down to the seashore uh, in Galilee and to focus on a square yard of, of ground there by the water. And simply to stay with that uh, square yard of ground for 20 minutes. And, and notice what's going on there. And simply observe the different colours, different colours of green. There's huge variety of colours when you look. Or, you know, observe the different textures of the stones that are down there. So different. Or the reflections of light or the tiny insects that you'd never usually notice, you just walk on. And the, uh, the little threads that they're leaving behind. And, you, and to see... Uh, the movement of water washing through that square yard and and so on. And an observation leads to respect and respect leads to reverence and reverence leads to thanksgiving and prayer. It's a different way of praying. On a pilgrimage to uh, Mount Sinai that uh, I did once, we, we walked across the desert for uh, a week, but we started each day with uh, two hours of walking in silence, complete silence, just to let the desert speak in its own voice. And it was utterly beautiful. Similarly, when we opened uh, a pilgrim path along the Thames a few years ago, we walked those 100 miles uh, by the river with uh, an hour and a half of silence uh, every day for um, prayer and reflection as we walked. And it was that time that... Um, so many people, most of those who walked with me, uh, would refer to as, as the richest time, actually, the best time of the day. So it's another way of praying. Going to Teze uh, in that ecumenical community in, um, in France for young people, uh, it's a, a pilgrimage for me, and I've been there many times. I remember once after a, a rough 24-hour drive uh, in the old purple bus, some of you may remember that, um, arriving once on a, a Sunday morning in time for that uh, great morning Eucharist and uh, hearing the, the familiar captivating singing uh, of Teze. And I remember being utterly swept away by it, just lost tears again, because that worship is a, is a mile deep and the silence uh, with 5,000 young people reflecting on on God's word together is simply stunning. So, you know, Teze music and prayer uh, can get woven uh, into our lives. 
So I'm just suggesting these are different ways of, of praying that can be brought home uh, to enrich our daily discipleship. Because our understanding of prayer can uh, expand and deepen and become more real. We often bring home as well a desire to be more reflective. Reflective about um, what's going on within us uh, and around us. Because living in the, in the West in the 21st century is all about speed and noise and competing voices kind of shouting us into submission. And on pilgrimage, we learn perhaps to walk more slowly, to walk at the speed of God, the speed of love. The, the Japanese theologian, uh, Kusuka Kiyama, uh, wrote about um, the three mile an hour God, uh, that being the speed that the love of God walks. And so we might become more uh, reflective from our experience of pilgrimage. At the end of the day on pilgrimage, I, I sometimes ask people to just identify uh, one word which sums up how they feel about that day. And all kinds of words may come up. They may say amazed, uh, exhilarated, puzzled, uh, confused, thrilled, angry. All kinds of different words come up and I suggest they might ponder why that word has sprung into their mind and what God is saying to them through it. I might do the same actually with a, a visual image and I say, what, what image are you going to take away from you from today? What have you seen that caught hold of you, um, that arrested you in some way? And I encourage them again to say, why, why was that one? Why is, what's special about that? And what is God saying to me through that strong image of the day? Reflection, you see, I think is a, a fundamental part of, of mature discipleship. Because in the end, I think the soul uh, dries up and dies without uh, an experience of reflection. The Jesuit practice of uh, the examen uh, is, is well known and it's increasingly popular as a, a structured form of, uh, of reflection because it, it's a daily exercise looking back over the last 24 hours and, and seeing when we felt most alive, most uh, connected, most grateful, and also when we felt most low and most depressed and most angry or, or most disconnected. You know, what is God saying to us through those times of full colour? Um, consolation is what the, the Jesuits call it, uh, or the times of grey, desolation, uh, is what the Jesuits call that. What is God saying through that? I think it's such a valuable dis discipline in helping us to recognise God's presence in the, in the heart of life, all of life, because of course uh, God is bound to be there uh, in the middle of life. You know, God doesn't know how to be absent. So we're the, one, we're the ones who are often uh, not present. It won't be God. So reflection, another <clears throat> thing we can bring back, uh, going a little more slowly, thinking a little bit more about what's going on in us and around us. Another way of enriching the everyday landscape of discipleship after uh, a pilgrimage is, of course, by recognising the significance of place. You'll probably know the familiar distinction between um, tourists and pilgrims. It's said that uh, tourists pass through places and pilgrims uh, let places pass through them. An important distinction, because these places change us as they go through us. 
And so we become attached to uh, particular places of pilgrimage. We return if we can. Uh, they feed us. You know, for me, it's the Holy Land, it's Galilee in particular, it's, it's Teze, it's, you know, these special places, they feed us. Of course, it's easier to return um, to those places if they're in our own country, if it's, you know, Walsingham or Lindisfarne or Canterbury or uh, Iona or wherever. Mind you, you do never know uh, how people will react to a particular place. I can remember um, taking two groups to, um, on, a, on a Northern Saints pilgrimage in which naturally we were bound to spend time uh, on Holy Island, Lindisfarne. And one group was obviously very moved by this and they wandered around the abbey and they, um, they were praying on Cuthbert's Island and they were drinking in the atmosphere, you could, you could tell. But the other group on another occasion just didn't get it at all. They just sat around in the tea shops waiting to be taken on to Durham. And, and Cuthbert somehow wasn't touching them at all. I did uh, complain to the Holy Spirit, of course. But our encounter uh, with a particular place can make us more attuned to the significance of place as a whole. Uh, so we might visit holy sites with new sensitivity, new expectation. And even that might be the case when we go to our own church on a Sunday morning. Um, we have more expectation of a particular place where prayer has been valid. And of course, we might be caught uh, unawares and blown away by a particular place we go to. When I worked at uh, Canterbury Cathedral as the archdeacon there, I remember uh, presiding at um, one of our early morning Eucharists, uh, at which you never knew who would turn up. There could be people from anywhere in the world. And there was this one occasion when um, an American, probably in his late 40s, he'd been to that service. And at the end, he, he came up to me and he, he just said, I haven't been to that service for 30 years, not knowing quite was, what was expected of me. Uh, I simply said, welcome home. And he said, that's exactly it. And his eyes filled with tears and he went away. Well, it was something to do with that extraordinary place, uh, thin with history and the presence of God, something to do with the early morning and uh, that sacramental action, who knows? But it all added up to that American being ambushed by the Holy Spirit. You know, places can do that. And of course, uh, responding to a, a special holy place can introduce us to a whole new tradition of spirituality. You know, going to um, Assisi might bring the Franciscan way uh, alive for us, or going to many of our cathedrals with uh, a Benedictine past can bring a, a Benedictine way uh, alive in us. I started reading avidly about what's sometimes called uh, Celtic spirituality um, when I moved to the Northeast and uh, Cuthbert and Bede were uh, my next door neighbours in the cathedral uh, just um, up the road. Or pilgrimages to Walsingham can uh, bring the, uh, the rich sacramental mysteries of Anglo-Catholicism alive for people. Um, again, I once went on a, well, I was at the Easter Vigil in Thessalonica, uh, and uh, as a thousand of us poured out of the cathedral, uh, clutching our Easter candles, I resolved to look more closely uh, at Orthodox spirituality, why it held so many people so close. So our discipleship is enriched by um, encountering special places 
uh, and in a sense bringing them home. You know, on the very first pilgrimage I made to the Holy Land, uh, on the very first morning, we went up to the top of the Mount of Olives. And I looked down on this long loved holy city of Jerusalem. It's a stunning view. And I carry it with me always. Place. Inevitably and uh, wonderfully, one of the, the main things we bring home from pilgrimages is, is the people we've journeyed with. On the first night, I always say to a group of pilgrims that these strangers around us now will feel to be real family uh, by the end of the pilgrimage. Because sharing a, a deep experience together can open us up to the deep, deep places in our own lives. And, and the conversations on the journey as we walk together, as we eat together, as we uh, talk in the evening, as darkness falls, uh, they can be deeply enriching. They're some of the most hallowed experiences of a pilgrimage, really. I've been privileged to hear stories of heartbreak and courage, of, of faith lost and found, of, of God and church and prayer, of, of joy and journeys, dilemmas, just all sorts of things. And these are conversations that, um, that might never have happened at home. One of the great uh, contemporary pilgrimages, of course, is to Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. Now, in, in 1986, the number of people who received this certificate to say that they'd completed at least the last 100 kilometers of that uh, pilgrimage, the number of people was um, 2,500-ish, something like that. Uh, in 2019, the number who earned that certificate was 327,000. It's had a huge growth. And most people I meet are clear that one of the, the best parts of that experience is that the conversations that they've had on the journey with the people they've met, people from all kinds of countries, all kinds of backgrounds, and actually all kinds of different reasons for making a pilgrimage. Absolutely fascinating and enriching. So what we're learning and bringing home is the pleasure of traveling uh, with others, being the church on the move in a way, laden uh, with stories and insights, because we're discovering again that every life is full of detail and incident and grace, full of God in fact, and that sharing our lives uh, like that is infinitely better than kind of buttoning them up on a, a Sunday morning and, and letting our lives bounce off each other over coffee afterwards. Now, on pilgrimage, uh, we find that the sharing, the, the honesty, the, the vulnerability, the inspiration of each other's lives is a gift. Bring it on home, I say. I have two short last suggestions uh, on how pilgrimage can enrich our discipleship as we come home. And the first is, very importantly, uh, that it might propel us into spe some specific uh, social or political action. Uh, going to the Holy Land a lot has, um, has led me, of course, to be very concerned about the plight uh, of the Palestinians. So I got involved with something called the Balfour Project, which is committed to raising awareness of um, the mess that we British uh, made in the Holy Land in 1917 and years after and which surely must lead us to be uh, concerned 
about equal rights for Palestinians alongside Israelis and the recognition of Palestine as a state. Someone else I know uh, came home from one of our pilgrimages and set up um, a UK arm of Playgrounds for Palestine, helping to get uh, playgrounds and that basic gift of play uh, into ruined neighbourhoods in Gaza and the West Bank. Someone else came back and offered um, her considerable skills uh, to the Friends of the Holy Land, that uh, ecumenical body uh, committed to supporting uh, the fast diminishing population of Palestinian Christians in the Holy Land and, and their superb work in healthcare and education out of all proportion to their numbers. So this is, you see, awareness leading to action social and political action, which is another of the, uh, the best consequences of pilgrimage. And there's a last way I want to, uh, to mention uh, by which our experience of pilgrimage can enrich our everyday discipleship. And that's, of course, by planning the next one, <laughs> the next pilgrimage. Because if it's right that a true religion is restless and the Christian story is uh, a traveller's tale, then if it's true that the church is a a people on the move. And if we found that pilgrimage is, is deeply enriching to our faith and discipleship, then what's holding us back from planning the next journey of the soul and inviting other people to come with us? If it's one of the best things that we've done, how can we not want to share that with uh, other people? Someone once um, said to me after she'd renewed her, her baptism vows in the Jordan, she said, nothing changed but everything is different. Great. Another said uh, after an open air Eucharist um, on, the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, she said, uh, if I paid the price of this trip for just that one service, it would have been worth it. And then these are, of course, golden moments that uh, occur on pilgrimage and retreat in special places. And in small but distinct ways, they change our lives. It's said that life's uh, two great journeys are first uh, leaving home to establish our own identity and then second finding our way back home to the heart of God. And both journeys are immeasurably helped I think by going on pilgrimage, uh, leaving home and returning home to the heart of God. Pilgrimage requires uh, a little courage uh, openness of heart, a capacity to reflect and grow, and then the rewards are immense. And we can bring those benefits home uh, to enrich our daily discipleship. Pilgrimage refreshes our reading of the Bible as it comes to life in our hands. It introduces us to rhythms of prayer and, and new ways of praying. It encourages the, uh, the daily practice of reflection to help us recognize how and where God is present in our lives everywhere. It encourages us to recognize the significance of, of place and special people and traditions associated with a place. It helps us to appreciate that we're storied people uh, with so much to share with each other and to realize that in the real world, um, there are causes to give our energy to and maybe attitudes in us that need to change. St. Augustine usually had a, a word for, uh, for most things, but he had a lovely image for the Christian journey. And he wrote this, he said, so brethren, let us sing Alleluia now, 
Sing as travellers sing along the road. Keep on walking. Sing, but keep on walking. What do I mean by walking? I mean press on from good to better. So sing alleluia and keep on walking. He's right. Let's keep on walking. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.